Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the topics of security, technology, society, and human meaning. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that curates tens of hours of reading into a concise 15-minute summary, as well as regular episodes featuring essays, interviews, and book reviews on these same topics. The goal is to provide a weekly, concise, and curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. All right, in this standalone episode, I'm doing a sponsored interview with Ev Consavoy of Teleport. So we've all heard sponsored conversations before, and the structure I really like is imagining that you're having a lunch conversation with an entrepreneur, and you're learning about their product for the first time. So that's really how I approach these. Basically, I say, look, we're having lunch, tell me about the product, and I get to comment and ask questions just like a normal conversation. Now, these are sponsored. So I'm not likely to blast someone from orbit, but I'm also going to be honest if I see a challenge or a question, just like I would during a lunch conversation. And the way we're looking to avoid conflict here is by pre-filtering who we allow to do sponsored interviews. So that's the approach, a natural pitch and a conversation over the time span of a meal. And with that, here's Ev from Teleport. All right. Well, it's very nice to meet you. Likewise. Yeah, so I guess could you tell me about yourself and tell me about the the company? Uh, absolutely. So uh, uh, I'm an engineer who was always obsessed with uh, computing infrastructure. So probably the reason for this is, uh, as most engineers, I started uh, programming at a fairly early age, and I always liked to write code that kind of makes computers do things, like physical things, mm-hmm. like play music using something that moves inside of a computer or... Uh, do some special effects with a monitor. And for that reason, I kind of grew up and gotten into uh, like the workforce. I was naturally attracted to this cloud revolution that mm-hmm. started to happen because uh, just being in a data center, see, seeing racks and racks of servers is just uh, has always been very fascinating. So it's a second company that started to uh, make uh, the lives of other engineers easier. Uh, so the first was was uh, was a email cloud delivery technology. So if you were to run applications in the cloud and you wanted to kind of send and receive email messages at massive scale, that was my first company called Mailgun. Um, but um, after Mailgun got acquired by a Rackspace, which at the time was second biggest cloud provider, uh, so I got exposed to big cloud uh, problems, mm-hmm. and one of those problems was the access. Because as companies continue to uh, push more and more data into the cloud, so the importance of uh, data security in in data centers is now more important than ever. And it just so happens that when it comes to infrastructure security, when it comes to infrastructure access, the technology we use for that, surprisingly, is lagging application-level security by like 10, 15, 20 years. In other words, when you're accessing web apps online, and by web apps I mean like banking, when you mm-hmm. log into your bank to check uh, your uh, balance or pay your bills, you're actually using state-of-the-art technology. But if you are an engineer at a SaaS company and you're accessing 
product, uh, servers, computing environments, using antiquated stuff. Mm. Uh, and, like people don't realize that they're actually using better tools than engineers that build software, but that's true. So that's why Teleport was started, to go and bridge this gap, to get this state-of-the-art technology into infrastructure access uh, space. <coughs> so software developers and... Um, and other types of engineers can securely and conveniently access infrastructure. Awesome. And so just looking at it uh, at a cursory level, it looks like the idea is um, controlling ingress and egress. It's like you have a single control point for all the different operations that need to happen. Is that is that the way you characterize it? So that's absolutely accurate, but I would say that so this type of description um, it doesn't communicate much, right? Okay. So if someone would listen, it almost sounds like a network solution, like oh, you have a I don't know, like a firewall or a proxy, because they could be described using very similar language. The interesting thing is, um, it, it's all about identity at the end of the day. So even if you put security aside and you think about how is it that we do computing, like what is the process of computing, who's involved? So you will see that there are three very different kind of actors in that mm -hmm. dance. So you have hardware, like the actual like things that store data and perform operations on that data, mm -hmm. like the actual hardware. So then there are software. In software, they act intelligently because we're pretty good at baking software that makes decisions. So software is like controlling hardware to make computing happen. Mm -hmm. And then you have humans. Humans are like obviously the most important thing. So humans create software. So there is this kind of loop that humans make decisions mm -hmm. and then they create software. And then the software makes decisions on behalf of humans and then it tells hardware what to do. And hardware on behalf of software makes changes to the data. Sure. Okay. So then if you're thinking about stealing someone's data, you now have a choice. You can attack <coughs> hardware, right? So you can try to gain access to that machine, maybe even physically, just break into data center, steal, like get the server out of the rack and run away. Mm -hmm. um, like a Hollywood movie, hard to imagine, but probably possible. Or you can attack software. You can try to inject your code into that software somehow, maybe through XSS and uh, through cross-site scripting or by attacking supply chain. So you put your code into software, and then you get into hardware, and then you get to data. Or you attack humans. You send yeah. them an email and say, hey, click on this thing to claim your uh, whatever. And then you end up in their laptop, and from that laptop, you get into software, hardware, so on and so forth. So like that is important thing to uh, realize, that there are these three different entities, and stealing data, attacking, uh, could be done in three different dimensions. And historically... There have been completely different industries, completely different products, completely different organizations responsible for protecting each one separately. Mm. So you've heard words like endpoint security mm -hmm. or things like uh, infrastructure access. And then uh, the, like these solutions, they would say that we protect laptop or we protect your code or we protect your servers. And that is a broken approach. You see how fundamental that is? It's broken because they all disjointed. It means that if you were to have a complete protection, you have to, first of all, use different solutions for each of these three components. But then you also have to synchronize. You have to synchronize how they're configured. Well, isn't, because, isn't that because the, the history, though, is that they were very distinct components? Like, it was a Windows laptop, and it was like a piece of iron sitting in a data center somewhere. So physically, the history is that they were very separate. 
Correct, correct. Like you see, we as like we're intelligent human beings. We obviously don't do anything obviously stupid. There's always a history behind it. We've been making these incremental decisions, mm-hmm. uh, and each of those incremental decisions historically has been uh, the right move. Right. But the end state that we re- like yes. that we find ourselves in right now is just terribly wrong. Here's a very simple example why it's broken. Every company, most companies, probably want to enforce one simple rule that states that a software engineer who no longer works here <laughs> doesn't have access to our infrastructure. Yeah. Now, think. So for that to be true, you have to configure multiple tools in the same way. Mm-hmm. So if you forget to say that this laptop is no longer trusted, that that laptop will be allowed to get in. Or if you forget to say that this password is no longer valid uh, through a web UI somewhere, like into like Kubernetes control panel, engineer will be able to get in. If you forget to say that SSH key is no longer accepted, they will be able to access infrastructure. You see, simply because your data, like it sits in the house, that's data center, and that house has dozens of doors for mm. software, hardware, people where you have to synchronize access across all of them. And that is now becomes... It's almost actually impossible for most companies, just yeah. due to complexity of it. Well, especially because they're all using the, separate software and all separate correct, policies. Correct. And software comes with expertise. So if you bought a solution, you better have experts who know how to set it up, configure, and use it. And expertise is always in short supply. Like every single company is struggling to hire engineering talent and security in particular. Mm-hmm. And that, I would argue, is the fundamental problem that we solve with the access plane concept, where we say that treating software access, hardware access, and people were access separately is just not no longer scales. Like we have to have a single plane that works for all three actors. And in order for that to work, we need to agree on a common technology or common technological platform. It mm-hmm. needs to be open. It needs to be an open standard. It needs to be easy to understand and reason about. And then we need to say, well, we're not going to support anything else. Like all the legacy stuff needs to go away. That is what Teleport is. Teleport st- uh, states that for software, hardware, and peopleware to seamlessly work, create this trusted computing environment, everything has, and everyone, everything and everyone, really important, has to have an identity. And mm-hmm. identity is represented in the form of a certificate. Mm-hmm. So there are two standards for certificates that exist. And we support both SSH certificates and X509 certificates. And Teleport says that to do anything for machines, for software, and humans, all three have to have certificates. And either something is allowed or not is done by looking at all three certs for every security-related action and then saying yes or no. So... That is the major innovation here, is just consolidation of these three uh, actors of computing mm. and cre- on top of common foundation, which is a certificate, which is identity. So it solves, first of all, it solves the fragmentation issue where you have these kind of silos of security all over, but it also automatically eliminates the huge risk that exists in your system if you have secrets. Okay. So when companies talking about secure vaults, when they're talking about password rotation, when they talk about encryption at rest, so they're basically saying that our infrastructure has certain things on it that are protected by encryption. 
Mm-hmm. So a protected password is protected by encryption. So you cannot claim that the data itself will never be stolen. Like things get stolen every once in a while. But you're relying on decryption or encryption decryption as your last line of defense. Mm-hmm. So here's why it was just statistically not going to work. So if you have, let's say, a secret, let's use SSH key, for example. Mm-hmm. You have a private SSH key somewhere in your system. Um, the worst case scenario, you have like a lot of them on engineering laptops, but just let, let's assume you have an encrypted key. So, which means that the, there's decryption happening somewhere. Mm-hmm. It could be happening automatically. So, you have some kind of script, some application, some automation that does decryption, or it could happen uh, uh, manually. So, there's a human that needs to type in the decryption key on, on a keyboard. Okay. So, in the first uh, uh, case, if it's a piece of automation that does decryption, you could have a bad deployment. You might have like your code that does decryption with the decryption key might accidentally end up on, on GitHub, visible to the entire world. You, you know, mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. The probability is close to zero, especially if you're a well-run organization. So you're doing your best not to do these bad deployments. And if you're doing it manually, well, humans are humans. Everyone, like you might end up with a sticky note in the monitor somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sticky note might end up in the news. It actually was, it was a real uh, story. Like it was it was, an inter- interview with video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, again, probability of that happening is comically low. But notice what happens as you scale. As you acquire more and more and more secrets, as you get more and more and more hardware, and you get more and more humans who can make mistakes. So the probability, the uh, combined probability starts yeah. to creep up. And then eventually it happens. Okay, so, so so let me jump in here real quick. So you're essentially saying these three things, let's wrap them with some sort of access uh, control plane of some sort and then have a policy inside of that plane which looks for certain actions being allowed to be done and tying that directly to people uh, via to, certificates. To identities. Yeah. Actually, it's important to say that we should not treat machines or humans separately from each other. They need to be treated the same. Okay, so they're both basically identities. Have three, three parties, A, B, and C, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a is hardware, B is piece of software, like microservice, for example, and uh, C is a, is, a, is a human. And when they interact, mm. you should pay zero attention to uh, is it machine, is it a person, doesn't matter. You simply look at a certificate, you look at properties of a certificate, and then you look at policy. So if a certificate says that uh, that like one of these actors is a production environment, it's not staging. Uh-huh. So it triggers production uh, policy because what what happens in pro- to production data versus staging is very different, right? So and then if one of these uh, uh, certificates says that I'm a like a temporary contractor, so now you know that there is something happening on production with a temporary contractor. So you yeah. want to see what policy you're enforcing. But you should not pay any attention. Is it human? Is it machine? Is it software? Sure. It doesn't matter. That is the key distinction. Because if you implement a system like this, then you have this massive unification. You're essentially saying there's a single source of truth that issues identities to everyone and a single source of truth that makes authorization and authentication decisions mm. and a single source of truth where the audit goes. Well, so that, how about the asset mm-hmm. data? So how do you complete the, the details of the policy? 
So I, I need to access this web service. I need to contact this API. I need to get onto this hard disk and pull this data. Um, when you're trying to write a policy that says only this identity can do this during this time of day or whatever, doesn't that require a lot of asset metadata uh, to exist? Correct. So the asset metadata, you see, by saying asset, you you injected the distinction because the asset assumes like machines, software, right? Okay. Humans are not assets. So like like this is why I want to double click on do not make that distinction. Just simply says metadata, right? So you have metadata associated with identities. Where is it coming from? That's, I think, your question. So here's the thing. If you are a human and you're going through a login process, that metadata will get injected by IDM, the identity platform your company uses. It could be Active Directory, SailPoint, Okta, like all of these things, they can they deliver a lot of metadata when you go through authentication. Teleport doesn't do authentication, by the way. We rely on your SSO. Sure. We just get your like your identity is given to mm-hmm. us. Okay. So that's where it's come from, like comes from in this case. So it's already there. Like your company knows who you are. Like you are a member of a group. You have mm-hmm. an email address. You have a manager. All of this is going to be in your certificate. So then if you're a piece of software, um, like you're a microservice, and you are launching inside of, let's say, a Kubernetes cluster, um, your identity will be handed to you in the form of certificate, and it will, like your environment will be encoded in there. This, the the Kubernetes cluster knows I'm staging, I'm production. Mm. If you database machine, it will all be there. So we already have this metadata on the infrastructure level. Like that technologies have been built by other people. Like we don't really need to like imagine that, or I'm sorry, not imagine, uh, re, uh, reimagine and reinvent mm-hmm. that will. And the same is true for uh, hardware. When the hardware, when when the company issues you a laptop, if it's, if it's like a, it's it's an Apple laptop, that there is a, a hardware security module on it, and you can mark like this laptop belongs to us. So if some other laptop shows up and it has a TPM with a different uh, fingerprint on it, uh, it will not it will not be trusted, right? So like technologies for having metadata and storing it already exist. So mm-hmm. what Teleport does, we suck all of this metadata out put it in a certificate, and then we make sure that these certificates are available when the decision needs to be done either to allow or deny a specific operation. Yeah, very, very interesting. So how does this touch in with, um, it sounds very cloud-friendly because that's where we have a lot of metadata present. It's easier to do in the cloud, definitely, because cloud allows you to do everything through code. So as you provision machines using your scripts, uh, as you create Kubernetes clusters and your services launch, there's just a lot of. Uh, it's just awesome if you're on the cloud. If you if you run your own data centers, mm-hmm. uh, companies that do that, they don't just like have bare metal and nothing else. Yeah, they have things like VMware, OpenStack. They have private versions of what AWS offers, mm-hmm. and those have similar capabilities. Okay, so you you're going to get metadata from somewhere, whether it's yes. VMware or somewhere. Okay. Or an MDM or something. Okay, very interesting. So it's and so how how upfront is the policy editor? Because it seems like the policy is is very key, right? You have the you have the control plane, and then you have the policies that sit on top of it. Um, is that a is that a huge part of the product and the interaction point with the product? So 
So the answer is yes and uh, no. I would say that companies historically struggled not with defining policy mm-hmm. because like the like mid-sized organizations their policy are not that complicated okay. like you have like even even the basic ones are often not enforced for example the policies like engineers must not touch production data easy enough right mm-hmm. so if you're in engineering you should be dealing with staging you should be dealing with test environments like don't touch customer data don't see it um so the policy for that is like a couple lines of configuration using like arbitrary language. You, they, you, like you and I, we could come up with a way to declare this policy. Sure. The difficulty has been to actually enforce it sure. because of this pro, uh, siloing of access. Because you have like cloud access through AWS API, you have SSH, you could go through Kubernetes control panel, uh, through web UI, you can go through Kubernetes. Like there's just so many protocols, so many different doors. Mm-hmm. So sy- synchronizing it, having a single uh, way of defining, that is the much bigger problem. And I'm not saying your question is not important. I'm simply want to remind that the focus is consolidation, having a single place. But then to define policy, um, you in, in Teleport, we offer kind of two ways of doing it. You have like a static way of defining policy. You can think like YAML file. Like YAML mm-hmm. says that, like this group, this is what they could do inside of yeah. Kubernetes. This is what you could do with Sign of MongoDB. But the interesting one is um, policy as code. So you could basically use your like programming language of your choice, mm-hmm. which will be Teleport will just ask your code, like what shall I do now? This are like this is what I said. Identities of everyone involved. Like this allows you to kind of extend Teleport behavior beyond static configuration. So you could implement completely arbitrary uh, like uh, rules. Like if your last name ends with a Z, <laughs> then you cannot do something on Tuesdays uh, after 2 p.m. Uh, so that is uh, kind of two ways of doing it, through code dynamically or statically via a static config. Yeah, it, it just seems to me that the, um, the policy piece is huge. Not, not the technical aspect of like how do you write it or implement mm-hmm. it, but the a- aspect of explainability. Um, understanding your security program by being able to look at your set of policies that are in place. So it's like it, someone comes audit you, a customer or a regulator or something, something, and they come to you and they say, I want to know the current state of our environment. You could say, here are all the policies that are currently in place. Here are the violations. That sort of yep, thing. Yep, yep, yep. It's actually an interesting computer science problem that you're reminding me of. So uh so those of us engineers who went to school and if you take like a prologue class mm-hmm. uh the, the policy is very similar to um declarative programming mm. so if you're writing a, a piece of software using those languages you basically define a set of facts like predicates for example cats are animals dogs mm-hmm. are animals so then the program will say that both cats and dogs are animals and you can ask it a question is dog an animal mm-hmm. and the and the system will respond yes and no. So as you add more and more statements like this in the system, your problem, your application becomes more complex, and then you can ask it a question. So is Bob an animal? And the thing will, and, and the system of predicates will look like Bob is a human, and human is not an animal, therefore Bob is not uh, an animal. Mm. So you could, like, just like a simple example. Um, but notice that the answers will always be correct. You will either get yes sure. or no or like not enough data. But we don't have a system like this to query policies today. 
Because right. policies exist, as I said, because of that fragmentation and siloing. You have different policies for different systems declared using different languages and, and components. So you cannot ask a question, can Bob touch production data? Right. So the, the, because, no, because you have no one to ask um, simply because of that fragmentation. So that is why we rely on audits. Mm -hmm. Audit is a kind of retroactive way to see if you have an error in your policy. Yes. It's essentially a troubleshooting policy. That's what audit is. And this is why auditors look for these uh, logs. Mm -hmm. Because they, they, want you, they want to see if you have a way of spotting an error. I'm basically saying that audit logging is, like in the future should be considered almost like an absolute practice. Instead, we should have a system that is similar to Prolog, where you can ask a question, yes. can log uh, access pr production? And if the answer is no, it's no. Like, there is right. no error. You don't yeah, really give, need to Give me the log. current state of the environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is the future that we're driving towards, but the first step is to consolidate everything in one place. You see, this is why I answered my your first question mm. that way. Because when you said, uh, like, just kind of, single control plane that everything goes through that is true but you see how deep that consolidation goes mm. that you're making entire things like audit log and observability not needed like obsolete that is the kind of benefit that you get if you consolidate access policy and identity source in one place interesting and so what are the technical steps here like what is um the plane look like when it's installed in, inside of different environments? How, how does it look for physical assets? How does it look for uh, Kubernetes versus EC2 versus all these other places? So there are essentially, I would say, maybe three components of a system. And um, just kind of on a low level, teleport is a single binary. Like, would you believe that simplicity is absolutely essential to security? So every engineer is familiar with the concept of a Unix daemon. So mm -hmm. you have SSHD that's running on every box. Mm -hmm. So, and we use that model. It's like, okay, we're going to be just like that because everyone knows how to run it. Everyone knows how it works. Everyone has an idea how much resources it requires. SSHD is awesome. It's almost stateless. It has a little bit of config. It's simple. It never goes down. It has no dependency. It's like the first thing that comes up and the last thing that goes down. Mm -hmm. uh, Maintenance-free or almost maintenance-free. So that is what Teleport is. It's a just drop-in replacement for SSHD. Okay. So with get out of the way, now, how does it work? When it's running, you, uh, like you have to say that on certain machines, Teleport uh, works slightly differently. So in other words, you run the daemon with different flags in different places. Okay. So you have to say, like, these machines are going to be proxies. So you have to select a proxy. Okay. So proxy, it means that it's a machine that is exposed to the outside world, also on the inside. So that's your kind of front door. So teleport proxy, again, SSHD works the exact same way. So if you think of a jump host, that's really your proxy, right? Okay, so this is like your, your take on zero trust uh, rather than VPNs. Like, these are your proxies to getting to everything behind. Correct. Um, so, but teleport proxy speaks all protocols. You see, oh. like the massive difference there. Mm. So, when you try to connect to MongoDB through teleport, the proxy will start speaking MongoDB protocol to you. If you're talking SSH, proxy talks to SSH. So, your existing tools think that they are talking to actual Mongo. So, if 
including on another uh, distant host that's behind the proxy? How is it being routed to it? How does it know so, to go there? But, yeah, yeah. So the proxy, what proxy does, like, um, like the proxy gets your request, and in there it sees which host you're actually trying to go to. So it makes this transparent connection, and you go into that host. Um, on that host, you have teleport running. And teleport mm-hmm. is interacting closely with whatever it is you're accessing. Is it if it's if it's Linux operating system, that's direct comparison to SSHD. So it will just do full SSH implementation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but if it's Go or um, MySQL or if it's maybe Kubernetes cluster, then it will connect that connection directly to the cluster, and it uh, and it will uh, put certificate on the wire because all of these workloads actually support certificates. Kubernetes supports certificate. Uh, databases do. Mm-hmm. Um, but where is certificate coming from? The proxy by itself is really dumb. It simply connects sockets together, and that's by design. Mm-hmm. Because if you have an attack on a proxy, not because teleport is vulnerable, but simply because there is always an attack. You might have Postgres, I'm sorry, uh, the WordPress or some other mm-hmm. application that's vulnerable on the same machine, but like human made a mistake somewhere and people, bad people, have gotten onto the proxy. Fine, there are no secrets in the proxy. The way it works that before even connecting to a proxy, teleport, uh, it, will, it will look on the wire and see if you have a certificate. And if you don't have certificate, it will redirect you to identity manager, like Okta, Cellpoint, Active Directory. It will okay, say, gotcha. go do your SSO. So you go through that, you log in using the choice of authentication your company prefers, and then that system will redirect you back to Teleport with certificate on the wire. Mm. Now we, um, actually, you know what, that's wrong. That's not how it works. It redirects you back to Teleport with metadata on the wire. So we have standards like SAML or OpenID Connect mm-hmm. where your identity is going to be there. So the proxy will then take that identity and will send to a, a second component of Teleport called Certificate Authority. Certificate Authority will uh, look at you and it's okay, which protocols you're using? Oh, you need SSH, you need uh, MongoDB, you need... And then it will issue certificates for everything you need. And those certificates will go back to you and they will be put on the wire and then you will be redirected back to proxy and then proxy will look at these certificates and it will connect you to this thing. Mm. And when you and, and it's encrypted end-to-end. You see proxy, proxy only looks at the cert. It doesn't actually see any data. So then your connection is established, let's say, into MongoDB or Linux box and decryption only happens there. So in, that is the, the magic. It reminds so, me of Kerberos a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, exactly. You see, all these ideas are not new. Like mm-hmm. we, as an industry, we know what the best practices are. It just so happens that they're not always available to people, so they yes. have to resort to. So that's really what we do. We just make best practices easy by making them de- default. So, and now when you're connecting to, let's say, uh, like a database or a Kubernetes, you have certificate on the wire, which means that Kubernetes will put you in the right group and the role-based access control will kick in, mm-hmm. and the audit will now have data, like your metadata will be on, in, in the audit, so it will all be now synchronized. And then the same thing will happen if you are a, a bot. So if you're like a backup script, and you get started because well, by a scheduler inside of a Kubernetes cluster, the certificate will be injected into Kubernetes secrets, right? So now you have certificates, so if you want to make connection to anything, like every programming language runtime 
when you do open socket call, there is a certificate, it's an op optional parameter for HTTP, mm -hmm. right? Just put it there. That's all. Like you have to change like one parameter, one line of code, mm. and that you don't need API keys anymore. That's it. Like now your uh, bot, your automation has an identity, and that identity will be used to give you access to whatever it is you need to back up. Mm. So you see how it works for software. Now on the hardware side, when the machine is booting, um, but you see teleport is a daemon. So the first thing it does when it comes online, it will go. So it will do its own off. It will go to a certificate authority and say, hey, I'm over here. I'm a production host. If that's true, the certificate will be issued and it will land on that box. So you see every microservice has a certificate. Every human has a certificate. Every hardware piece of hardware has a certificate. And in on the roadmap, we're going into client as well. So which means your laptop, when you try to get in, because laptop, it needs to be compliant, right? So you have a yeah. TPM. So your laptop will receive a client hardware certificate. So now you have you basically covered everything with certificates. They have these identities, and now you can do this uh, mm. fun things with policy enforcement and asking questions: who who has access to what? Yeah, really, really cool stuff. I, I... Yeah, but let, let's talk about the negatives because if it was so obvious, why would it like didn't exist before? Mm -hmm. So the sacrifice is complete goodbye to backwards compatibility. Because mm. you have so much infrastructure out there, like, like start with routers. Like every piece of network equipment has a, a SSHD baked into it that you cannot get out, and it, it works using public-private keys. Like there is no certificate support. Mm -hmm. If you look on the client, like you're using Windows, you're using Putty, no certificate support. Yeah, uh, there are versions of SSH agent on some Linux distros. They cannot hold certificates. So we're just basically making these choices that if we were to make a difference. Like we have to go where the puck is going and saying if mm -hmm. if you don't do certs, you should stop doing it. So that's that's probably the most visible uh, kind of drawback to the uh, of the system. <clears throat> that makes sense. Uh, which would make sense that it's easier for uh, newer orgs. Like it, if they were to spin up a new company tomorrow and start with this, it would be much easier. Well, you, you would be surprised. Um, on one hand, what you're saying is definitely true, but yet let's also remember that any large company is basically a collection of orgs, right? Yeah. And certain are newer than others. Mm -hmm. Samsung is arguably uh, like a huge company that's definitely not new. It's like feels like it's a half of the South Korean economy. Sure. Sometimes, but we have significant presence. At mm. Samsung, so the teams that are starting new projects, or, or just uh, or simply operating on a newer technological stack, so they are adopting teleport more and more frequently. And we have plenty of uh, large uh, companies um, that use teleport. Yeah, and there and there are a lot of companies who periodically they say, "How should we be doing this different?" And that's a perfect time. There are regular intervals where it's a perfect time to reevaluate. Yep, and move yep, into yep. the future rather than doing the old thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think the another, like other than fragmentation of access, which is absolutely killing everyone, another huge problem is now with uh, just treatment of secrets. Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, it was considered to be acceptable to store secrets in an encrypted way as long as you do it properly. 
Right. So you would use some kind of encrypted vaults or you would use, uh, basically just, you would rely on encryption to protect your infrastructure. And it's like, yeah, it's fine. Like we have solid algorithms. We had uh, like amazing uh, mathematical b breakthroughs. So let's just do that. And that's true. But the reason why secrets no longer work is because of scale. So let me kind of walk you through why. Key management, so just, right? Well, key management is one use case, but you can, but you could think about it in a g like generic terms. Like you have data, and there's the standard like data needs to be encrypted at rest. Okay, encrypted with what? Well, with with a secret. So w where does that secret go? And and you have these instances of that like sprinkled all over. You have mm -hmm. API keys for internal external services. Yeah. You have SSH credentials. You have like data like backups encrypted with like all of these secrets. Where do they go? Like what is happening? So that is a growing concern and a problem in the space because it's not scalable. And, and this is where scale breaks you. Mm -hmm. So imagine for a second that you have a single secret in your infrastructure. And your infrastructure is a single server and your team is like five people. Mm -hmm. Everything is really small. So you encrypted something, that secret, and, and then you have to ask yourself, what is the probability of that being stolen? Okay, let's look into it. If you encrypted something, it means there is decryption happening. Mm -hmm. If decryption is happening, it means it's either manual, so one of your five engineers will just remember the secret and do decryption, or it's a piece of automation, something that you're periodically deploying. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you're periodically deploying, there's a slight chance you will have a bad deployment. Mm -hmm. You like, type the wrong thing in the keyboard, the flip the wrong thing, and your secret will be on your public GitHub a repository. You will mm -hmm. check in with the code. Like every once in a while, we make mistakes. We're all humans, mm -hmm. so there is a tiny chance that might happen on the automation side. But if it's on a human side, same thing. Human make mistakes. There is a tiny chance you're going to click on the wrong attachment. You're going to sign up for the, the, with a phishing attack. Your laptop will get compromised, and 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 the secret will be stolen. But you would think, oh, we're going to follow the best practices. We, have, we hire good engineers with smart people. Not going to happen. Okay, fine. But then what happens if you have two secrets and then two servers and then 10 engineers and then 100 secrets and 100 servers and 1,000 engineers? So as you scale, as you process more and more data, your organization grows, that combined probability of human error yeah. keeps increasing. And I will never accept, and we shouldn't, um, that humans are infallible. We will eventually make a mistake. So which means that the uh, existence, the mere existence of secrets in your infrastructure is a liability. Mm -hmm. And the bigger you get, the bigger that liability becomes. So the future then is to move to completely secretless future. There's like zero infrastructure uh, secrets that are present anywhere. And that is where the certificates come, come in. Because maybe we don't eliminate the need for secrets for, uh, for all things infrastructure but we eliminate the need for static credentials for access. So the API yeah. keys go away because your applications will get this ephemeral certificates that are automatically expiring. So you don't really need encrypted uh, storage for your mm. API keys. So things like SSH passwords go away. Things like private public keys go away. Things like, uh, like RDP passwords for Windows. You see, that's a huge uh, kind of liability exposure that certificates on identities eliminate, which is a big, big shift that's happening in the industry yeah. that no, I think I've, is important. 
I love this. I, I think this is, I, I feel like it's where things have to go because complexity just continues to grow. Exactly. This, this is, um, this is the only way to actually address it with a system like this. It's uh, some, I um, enjoy seeing the similarities and how humans think about different problems. Like when, when we talk about carbon footprint uh, and global warming, it's basically the same answer. Yeah. Like the, it needs to go to zero. Like simply lowering right. something by 20, 30% is not enough because it keeps accumulating. So if you're gaining 20% all the time, so eventually that, um, like th that curve is going to get you the same. Well, it, thing it's just like you said with, with population, the population grows and you have a small problem. Well, you have a big yes, problem. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> all right. Well, this has uh, been fantastic. Uh, definitely enjoyed this. I wish it was a real lunch, but, um, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe sometime soon. And, um, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you for asking all the right questions. I couldn't hope for uh, to cover so much so quickly. Awesome. All right. Later. Thanks for listening to the standalone episode. Bye. And we'll see you next time.